Because <laughs> it died. Uh, yeah. Dennis, how are you doing on this lovely I'm good. crisp I'm December good. evening? It's good. it's good to have uh, new images flashing through my brain. It's, it's a, a moment of deep humor, satisfaction, and gratitude that I lift a fat tire unto you. Yeah, baby. For happy hour number 962 or something. Something along those lines, yeah. That's our ranking, by the way. Is it? In a certain, yeah, 962nd. My, my guess is that there's a thousand that they're counting. <laughs> By my records, this is episode number 89. 89 dead men. 89 dead men. Remember that? 89. Uh, from Turn Me On Dead Men? Uh-huh. Yeah. Did, I, did I get your... Yeah. Was that, did well, I tell about your revolution? Well, well. <laughs> I, you know, no, hey, I'm going to set some ground rules for tonight. No complicated questions, certainly. No questions that have two parts. All right, that's... Okay, single-part questions. If at all. Okay. If any at all. Good. That was a short list. So, man, <laughs> your, your end requirements. It, is it a crisp evening in Spain? Because it is here, in fact. Here it's a soggy cold evening. 50s, 40s? 50s. 50s. We're in the 30s and a little bit of snow. Nice. Crisp. <clears throat> yeah. These are, in fact, sound more like soggy, but. Yeah, the New England got quite a bit of snow today, I believe. A nor'easter. And I said to my wife, I said, you know why I know that won't affect us? And she said, why? And I said, because we're not in the nor'east. Nice. I thought it was funny. She did it. That's clever, right? Yeah. I should have been. If you, just trying to, you know, if raise spirits, so to speak. Yeah, I guess Jewish people celebrate neither Christmas nor Easter. Correct. Right. So. Yeah. So there's that. There's <laughs> that. Next question. There it is. Next question. And I said no two-part questions. That was that seemed to me like like a two-part questions. So it's it's been it's been a kind of crazy COVID day when the and, and Kalamazoo, of course, is internationally known now as the location of Pfizer, and the shipments from the, all of the all of the initial shipments came out of this town. So and you, it's pretty damn remarkable. So your locals have already snuck in and gotten your shot. I got a shot six weeks ago, but I didn't want to talk about it. No, and, and in fact, I had thought at one point that maybe Pfizer would say as a gift to this community, where we are, let's right. go. And I suspect that they don't want to be embarrassed about how it goes in Kalamazoo. <laughs> in their own backyard. So anyway, it's pretty remarkable. And of course, all this extending, blatantly clear Trumpism that's just setting him up, as we've talked and talked about, just to make money. And he's already saying, he's saying, you know, to confidants who are all reporting it to the news, he's saying, well, I'm going to, I certainly am going to talk about running and whether I do it or not would just have to remain to be seen. So that means all the people that want to run against Joe Biden in four years, which is right around the corner, they can't do anything because they're so scared of him. It's remarkable. He's going to make it work for him. The only thing he's got to worry about, of course, is state-level indictments. He could be in deep shit there. Wouldn't he just go over to Scotland and live? Would they, uh, what do you call it? uh, Extradite. Extradite him from Scotland? We must have a, do we have an extradition treaty with Ireland? Or Scotland, I should say? Probably. I would think. But 
yeah, I don't know. I'm just so happy that I my future holds almost entire days where I don't think about that. Yes, yes. And to the credit of the press, at least the press that I watch, they're really not giving Trump any camera time or, or FaceTime. Nice. They're reporting that he's spoken. And they might quote him or show a clip that makes the point of what the fuck is he saying? Why, why is he saying this? He is such a crazy man. He can't help but telegraph his punches right. because he's so narcissistic that he know, he can't wait for the reflection on him to be positive. So he does the stupidest thing that someone who's trying to push a charade does is they tell you, oh, by the way, this about, is just a charade. I'm about to do this thing, yeah. Oh, it's, he's fine. And the money that comes in, the money, it's going to be, it's going to be billions of dollars. Of donations to Trump? be a billion. No. Huh? That donation. Trump will make? Maybe. One year, one year uh, is estimated at $760 million. One year of what? One year of his uh, projected fundraising total. People are donating that amount to him? They're donating more than they ever did when he was running. Don't you know this? Who? He's raising who 25%. Who are these people? His, his 35, 40%, whatever it is, of the party. They're giving they're not him rich. $25 donations every week. And there's 35 million of them. I mean, look. And it spiked when he started raising their court issues. And then those same supporters, not in the tens of thousands, but in the thousands, showed up for pro-Trump rallies, and there was threats and all this other bullshit. A minority of, of folks, to be sure. But here's the point. Our institutions are holding. This isn't happening. The courts said, no, you don't. The new executive coming in is saying, no, you don't. And the attorney general says, you know what? It's just easier for me to quit. So Bill Barr writes a two-page memo that's that, that the, it's entitled his resignation letter. But in fact, the subtext is, I want to blow you for two pages and get out of this alive without a tweet firing. <laughs> that was the subtitle. I don't know if that if you could see that on your copy of it. Maybe it was redacted. But yeah, things have happened. It's like rats running from a ship. And the thing is, the ship that all the rats are running away from, it's going to be immediately, if he would want it, immediately, the largest third-party candidate, not just in the history of the country in terms of that's a record, but 35 million. Compare that to what Jan John Anderson got when he ran for president, and it was a remarkable. Well, that I was John Anderson. Try to remember 12 percent. He'll start at 12 percent. This is 35%. And Trump, all he has to say is, this is my new party, and I'm going to go ahead and run this shit. Who's with me? From Argentina. <laughs> and, right, or someplace that doesn't have an extradition treaty. And he's going to say, I can't go back no. because they want to arrest me. He and he's going to stand up, he's going to stand on a podium down in Mar Largo, or then in, over to Argentina. And as he's standing on it, the lights will shine down on him. He'll put his hands up, and he'll look like fucking Ho Chi Minh. And they will rise above the shot of him in the spotlights and his cheering crowd and show as a fadeaway from, from a helicopter the fucking size of the crowd in any major city in this country. No. That's okay. the new Trump party. Okay. That's okay. where he, he doesn't want power. He's never wanted he wants power. money. Want, this is money. No, more than money. He wants attention. Because daddy didn't give him. Right. And so he doesn't want to start a third party and then have other candidates join that party and other congresspeople be in the Trump party, blah, blah, blah. 
except to the level that it bears his name. But he, he just wants crowds of people cheering yeah. at him. And yeah. from Argentina, yeah. you can't get that because the Argentinians aren't going to crowd there, and his base isn't going to travel to Argentina for his for his rallies. So, like, it's not. Maybe what they do is they create. And let me tell you a let cheering. me tell you a Zoom call with 200 people watching you, like I had last week, is not that energizing compared to a room of 40 people watching you. In person. In person. So no, yeah, it's a totally different energy. And what he, it's, what his, he has a thirst for that energy, because when you walk out on stage and right, right. and five thousand people go, yeah, it's you, right. it's Dennis. Right. Hey, look, that's right. this guy. That's the Dennis guy we came yeah. here to see. That fills you with a thing that cannot be touched by other. Right. If you in, have the first instance, in the first friends. instance, that is cheering people, and in the second instance, it's people cheering. So one is actually right. Say you get that. See what I did there. See, I switched those things from one juxtaposition, twisted it. Yeah. And now you almost heard. Went <laughs> flip. And I, I... You almost followed me. You're getting a smarter. So it's too bad our listeners can't see you because now you look more like Maynard G. Krebs than ever before. And I, I want to comment, even though it might seem redundant, I'm sure you've heard this before, is that it's remarkable how closely your physique looks like the thinker. I'm sure the show notes can link up to the, to the Rodan sculpture, but I'm just amazed by that because they don't know they don't know what, what you look like. But of course, having a pencil in a, a beard and a, a little, uh, if I may say, a little a, a French a mustache. Oui, oui. Huh? You know what the G stands for in Maynard G. Krebs? Yes. Guardian Angel. No, I don't. Gwalter. What? So you know the, the name Walter, right? Yeah. It's that but with a G in front of it. Walter. Walter? You're, you're making that shit up. Aren't you? Aren't you? Maynard Walter Krebs. Fake he's the, news. He's the beatnik sidekick of the title character of a U.S. television Walter. sitcom. Named? <laughs> what, was it, what was the show called? Oh, I can't remember now. I'm drawing a blank. The Many Loves. Don't question. No questions. The Many Maynard. Loves of... What? The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Dobie Gillis. That's right. Yes. Portrayed by actor Bob Denver. Yes, yes, yes. Also known for another role. Yes. Another iconic role where he made money at Comic-Con for the rest of his life. Oh, hold on. He's got a, there's a line about the middle name. He says, Maynard's middle name is Walter, named for his aunt. The G is silent, he would explain. (laughs) That's great. That's that's such good uh, 1950s humor. That's funny. Nailed it. That's funny. And, uh, we exchanged some communications about Pleasantville. Yes. And each of us have seen it a couple of times. And I, I got to tell you this. Last night, as my wife went to bed, and I wasn't, I t- had taken my hour nap, so I was ready for a little lay down, a little movie action. And the first thing I do is I just check what's coming on right now, right, on the HBO or, or, or Showtime. And I got into this in the first minute, and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And of course, I, I loved it. Right. But it, I saw it anew. Even though I've seen it five or six times, I've seen it anew and took particular attention since it's now so many decades earlier that, for example, Reese Witherspoon won an Academy, some type of major acting award Mm -hmm. for uh, a first-time performance, introduction to the cinema. And she was 22 playing a high school girl. Yeah, she was 23, actually. uh, Toby McGuire was 22. But then to, to say, oh, man, look at Don Knotts. And then, as I'm watching it again, 
suddenly when JT Walsh walks into the barbershop and they all get all rattled and say, hello, mayor, and they shuffle in their chairs like the big shot's showing up. They better straighten up. And uh, the guy jumped out of the barber's chair, (laughs) and the barber let him jump out. And as uh, J.T. Walsh, the character the mayor, Bob, was walking into the chair, he said, oh, I wouldn't think of taking your chair. (laughs) Absolutely what he intended. And from that moment forward, for me, for the movie, knowing that his other roles since then, and the tragedy of his his early death and how this was a film in memoriam to him. It was riveting. And every time he was on the screen, I was just thrilled yeah. because he was so good in this. It's such course, a James H. Macy just just William H. Macy. William H. Macy, yes. Oh, just crazy. Crazy good. Yeah. The it's got so Joan Allen, you got an Academy Award. For this? Best supporting actress. Nice. Yeah, Reese also has an Academy Award for something later. The, what I love about Pleasant Valley is it's understandable on so many levels. Every level to you me. Can, I, like my, yeah. I think I might have shown it to my kids. I might not have, but if, if not, I could show it to my kids, and my 12-year-old would just think it was great. And without having any knowledge of race in America and what it means to be colored and uh-huh. what it means uh-huh. to long uh-huh. for that, time when uh-huh. things were that way before uh-huh. and all of these underlying uh-huh. messages in this film because so the other the academy award was cinematography good because, because it was showing both colored and black and white footage throughout which was the first time it had ever been done and right. to this day it holds up yeah i've done that trick on a couple of photographs but you know it takes me right. minutes to accomplish that for one frame right, right. and right however right. they did right. that now it'd be right. a lot easier right. with computers and stuff but but yeah right. it was sure. good but uh, Jeff Daniels, a Michigan native, up the road here, he, what I loved about seeing it again was that in that film, with time as it is, and him now and his, he's got to be, I think he's older than I am, so he's, he may be in 68, 69 years Jeff old. Jeff Daniels is 65 uh, years old. 65, okay. Back then, he was at, what in, now I know now in hindsight, he was at his handsomest. He was yes. at that point in his career where he was so fi- uh, physically attractive it, and it make it renders his shy and touching performance in a way that just makes it all work. I, yes, he's one of the reasons I'm, I riveted. And of course, Joan Allen has been in so many movies where she was in the the Bourne movies. She was one of the uh, and she was at her wickedest. There, she was at large in charge, and you never for a moment doubted no. her invincibility when she was in charge. Is the way that, and of course, as it turns out, no spoilers here. And I could say that there's never been a movie I've seen with Joan Allen in it that I didn't. I wasn't impressed with both her and her movie. These are good choices she's made. I agree. I agree. Uh, it's oh, so here's the quiz. Yeah. Who in Pleasantville ended up being a star turn in Billions many years later? Who was the actor, and what were his names? In both shows, this I'm breaking my own rules. A four-part question. You implied said, you're up for it. So you implied by saying who was in Pleasantville that later in Billions as an adult actor yes. was was something. So that implies that he was, he was a child in Pleasantville or a teen, maybe. Oh, oh or she. That's a logical conclusion. That's. But I don't know. 
none of the faces that I can run through okay. my head. I'm going to take you through this. Okay. And also, I've done a Google search for Pleasantville and Billions, and no ah, connection has come up. This is good. This is remarkable. So I want you to listen to me. You might have to close your eyes because I want you to imagine something. Okay. I want you to picture in Pleasantville the scene after the ravishing of the hotel by the gangsters who came in, all the uncolored, and tore the place apart, and the teens came in, and they were going to clean it up, and uh, the, the cafe dude, Jeff Daniels guy, came in, and they were going to clean it up, and this is what I want you to picture. There was a young man at the jukebox who plugged it in and looked up and said to the room, listen, it works, and they started playing a tune. And a girl started screaming, saying, no, shut that off, shut that off, because the new rules adopted by the council forbade that type of music. And that teenager who was at the jukebox, do you have the image in your head by any chance? Any remote no, chance? that was not an important enough. Scene. Okay, so leave that to the side. Now you will. Now it will make sense to you. So now picture billions, and you're in the safe of the basement of the the billionaire, and in walks this little short dude who's now been appointed secretary of the treasury, and he used to be a hedge fund manager, and his name is Todd Krakow. And he's remarkable in, in my memory because he was so short, which very, and a superb actor. Yeah, you okay. That. I've pulled up Do images of Todd Krakow in now, Billions. You see his face? Yeah. He looked a lot like that when he was a teenager. So when you go to uh, Pleasantville, that scene, you will look and you will say, holy shit, yeah. Yeah, that's him. Okay, hold on. Let's do some live research. That man's name that? is Danny Strong. Danny Strong. That's us go. Danny Strong was producer. He's in Billions. Yes, he actually has a larger career than I knew when I wrote you today. Because he's in Pleasantville quite, quite under the role of Jukebox Boy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Aptly named. See, see. That's why I gave you the image. Wow. It's the key to oh. understanding. There he is. And look at the look on his face. He's, oh, man, that is him. Yeah, it looks just like him. I got to gotta share this image in the chat. This will be at happyhourhour.fm slash 089. that. <laughs> Someone's gone to the work of pairing them up. Yes. Yes. Wow. And you just you recognize him. You're like, hey, that's that guy from Millions. Yeah. That's yep. wild. Your, your yep. brain... Work sometimes. My brain was working overtime. It happens all the time. I sing a song that I cannot rhyme. Anyway, anywho, what you got there, bro? Oh, some vice beer, yeah. Vice beer. Vice beer. Vice beer. Vice beer, yeah. Vice beer. You drinking it out of a glass? At the moment, I just have a bottle. You had a glass, though. Was that what that was, or was that? No, normally I would drink a. Hold on. Shout out. Oh, yeah. Drink a shadow whiskey. <laughs> I don't Well, I saw I saw a joke the other day. You just reminded me. Uh, did you hear that William Shatner began the line "Ladies Lingerie"? No. Uh, they had to cancel it because no one wanted to buy Shatner panties. <laughs> <laughs> that should be banned from this from the show. And you did. That's pretty funny though. 
Maybe not that to share with you. I'm glad you brought him up because he's, to me, he's one of the remarkable people of my lifetime in that his absolutely indefatigable attitude. His his what? And indefatigable attitude. Indefatigable? Yeah. Attitude for life, the joy of life, where he would talk about it and write about it and sing about it. And he was, and he's always been this guy who just likes to have fun doing stuff. And he doesn't take himself any more seriously than he expects us to. And he's just, it's fun because he's got an average Joe voice and, uh, and he's brave. He goes out, he's, how much money do you think he makes from being a pitch man for Priceline? Holy shit. Yeah, millions and millions. Holy shit, man. How many clicks is that a day? And playing on the stereotype. It's if, it's if Christopher Walken started doing commercials where he exaggerated his voice trick. Uh-huh. He was like, you, I, I, I can't do a walk it, but yeah, you must buy this insurance or whatever. There's a, there's a lot of people who do. Did you see the dance video I sent you? I Tell did. You did. did you watch it? Oh. Wait. Oh, it was Christopher Walken. Damn it. Oh. See, more hey. top of mind if I watch that. Hey, do you have it? I have it in front of me. Send it. You do? I can't. Um, no. It's, hold on. I have to change browsers because YouTube wants to show me ads. Okay. Smash TV. This will be in the show notes so you can follow along. Me? You talking to me? Don't tell me you know any country dances. Whoa. Indefatigable. Okay, this is good. I've lost track. This is good. This, so, this is the most boring part of the podcast so far. Let's all be quiet while Eric watches I literally videos. can't remember what you're looking for. I've completely lost the train of thought. I was watching the Chris, home. Christopher Walken dance video. Oh, yes. Chris. It's... <laughs> but then again, I am weak-minded. Yes, strong-willed, yeah, but weak-minded. Yeah, it's... Uh, There's a song in there somewhere, isn't there? Got strong will, weak mind. How do you mend... Weakened heart. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Bee Gees documentary came out. I can't wait. Huh. I can't wait to see it. What a strange family. Holy cow. I don't know what's going on. Beyond... Oh, uh, so. I saw, okay. I, saw, I saw a web cartoon the other day where it's these, these kids are, got their, are playing with a Ouija board. And, and it goes to... A and an L and an I and the B says alive. Oh my God! It says they're alive. And then it continues on to so it spells out staying alive. And it says shit. We got a Fiji board. <laughs> really? Is there a white cat that marches in? <laughs> that hilarious Trump video dancing. You said me. Hey, oh, yeah. hey, did I tell you that when I had my wife listen to it, she didn't laugh. She didn't think it was funny. And she looked at me and she said, "I can't laugh at that asshole." <laughs> and, and I thought. Huh, that's another. I thought it was one of the funniest things I've seen this year. Yeah, I thought. And you know what? The other thing is, too, you recall, or maybe you won't, is that there was a little strain of conversation we had where we were talking about different glimpses in, in, in situations in Trump where he was actually laughing and yeah, having such a that. good time that you, and when he, you see him at these rallies, like you were make, making the point earlier, which he relishes, he's such a carnival barker that when he hears this crowd, did you, do you remember the clip of him hugging the flag? Wrapping it in his legs, right? He was humping the flag. It, it appeared to be, although the, can you imagine using that in the dance too? I, I'm a little surprised they did it because it's just remarkable. But this thing that he does, 
where the fat man is dancing. If you want to get, you want to see an image that you wish you hadn't seen, look at that from behind. Yeah. His Hi. fat ass bouncing back and forth. His obese, small-handed, orange-haired, fucking depraved, orange soulless face. fuck. So there's a there's an article out today. I don't know if you've seen it from CNN. The headline is. Trump administration finalizes rollback of showerhead standards. The U.S. Department of Energy on Tuesday fi finalized a pair of new rules rolling back water efficiency standards on showerheads and other consumer appliances. Remember when he was talking about how it's just the water it just comes drip and drip and, and it, uh, we can't live like this. Because he wants higher water pressure? He's just fed up with who is the government to tell us how much water we can waste on angle. Well, says the guy that very, owns horses. That's funny because you've actually clearly stated his obvious position, even though it's pretty funny to hear that's that's what somebody actually wants to happen. That is, i.e., don't could let you waste as much water as you want. I mean, <laughs> well, it, because it's limitless. It's limitless. Especially, hey, what's the percentage of Americans who think that the world is five thousand years old? And look at the percentage of Republicans who think that. You find that data in a split second. You're going to be fucking stunned. What percentage of the current Republican Party believes that the world is 5,000 years old? See, in the 60th percentile. That was the thing that was such a hair up my ass in 2007, when it was all we were all concerned about how George W. Bush was pulling, putting all this religion into politics. And yeah. there was yeah. so much, right. there was, let's, let's remove the evolution from the school books. Oh, let's right. do all this. And that was the thing that the left was the most riled up about, at least the left circles that I hang around. And like that, and you know, the whole um, dinosaur museum that they have where they talk about how the humans and the dinosaurs were played around and stuff. That's, you know, creationist thinking. It's still there, but it's just been drowned out by so much more toxic ideas that, like, we can't even Almost deal with that. Almost to the point of who cares. Almost we can't even deal with that. Who cares? If, that you don't, if you want to believe that the Earth is 5,000 years old, what do I care? I'm worried about what you're doing right now. That's the general attitude. But it, but, and then, and, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why you don't hear the statistic much, because it really doesn't matter. But then when you hear the statistic recently, which I think it's 62%, maybe, I might be all wet on this, but... You probably could find it. But nonetheless, whatever percentage it is, it's too fucking much. Right. <laughs> Divorce from reality as we know it, or as the world in, in, in vast majority believes it to be. But at this day and age, as you point out, well, so who cares? You can believe that. I don't care if you believe that we used to be comic book characters and we came to life through some magic comic book god. Who cares? What are we doing? Hold on, no, that, was, that was true, though. That's... <laughs> 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 no, oh, I, found, yes. I found this article from 2013. 70, 70% of Georgia Republicans believe in creationism. What percent? 70, 70. And I said 64, and I was afraid I was too high. Well, this is Georgia Republicans. That's okay, and so you got a national stat, I bet you it's 62. I'll see, we'll test my memory. See if uh, I get any points. Let's see, 2019, 40% of Americans. Yes. Which is... What? And, and what uh, percentage of uh, voting Americans are in the Trump, in the solid Trump camp? Yeah, all 25%. of those. Okay, so then cut that down to... Okay, hold on. The percentage, percentage of Republicans, Republicans. Yes. The percentage of Republicans in August 2019, 55. 
55. I was high. That's Stunning shit. Yeah, high, high, or whatever. Majority. Okay. A, pretty, a pretty solid majority. 55% of politics is a lot. But, uh, but at any rate, I like what Joe Biden's doing. He's made some huge blunders that are kind of uh, interesting because shit happens. But when you are on the phone with progressive civil rights activists who want certain people appointed or and, or specifically, don't, we heard you were going to appointing and we're here to tell you we don't support that. Right, which and is then awesome. within the day, his campaign announced his appointment. So you've got their tape in the morning, and then you've got the announcement in the afternoon where the person they said who he's appointed, I think his name is Glausick, something like that. But no matter. It's just the point. The larger point is because of all this activity, stuff is happening. But I'll tell you what's worrisome to me, and, and it is the, the capability of a fledgling, let alone a seasoned administration, to actually manage the executive branch and all of the stuff that it takes to go from policy to legislation to funding to implementation. That's a big, uh, tough thing to do. If they can't manage appointments early on in the process, then that shows a lack of competency right. that is a little alarming. Right. If it's the only time it happens, it's like, all right, live and learn. But part of me says, don't do this, Joe. Don't, don't start to slip, because here's my rub again in the Obama administration that I mentioned before. I was in government. I was in state government when he had that huge bailout and all that money, that trillions that was going, which actually, in its totality, did save the economy. But the way that that money flowed and created this bureaucracy, which was so many people at the table that there was no inertia and stuff was nuts. It was not well thought through. There were not good protocols. People could not get the stuff approved. The money did not flow. It made no sense. It went on forever. They rolled out the healthcare uh, website, crashes, yeah. crash, oh my God. So their management skill was poor in that administration in many ways. Highly laudatory of the full breadth of it, but nonetheless, to be objective. If Biden makes those goddamn mistakes now, he's a fucking fool because he should see what happened when he was vice president and say, we're not doing that again. He's got enough smart people around him. One of them should be in charge of that. Right. Right. To that, say, let's see what you, let's see. How can we do better than that? That's what I need. So it's, it's a work in progress. Not the best of circumstances for an incoming president. When, and finally, Moscow, Mitch and Putin both congratulate Biden on the same day. And the little thing on MSNBC that I thought was humorous was that when they were reporting these two bits of news, the banner on the bottom said McConnell and Putin recognize Biden, which is so hilarious because his nickname, of course, is Moscow Mitch. And he's completely supportive and, and more than complacent. He's totally engaged in this fucking amazing espionage with, with Russia. That every, every one of us thinking people in the world are saying, yeah, of course he is. And we do believe that Putin's got tapes of women pissing on Trump, golden charge. At this point, why do we care? We, I already think it happened. It's not going to change my view. So Trump can say, go ahead, Putin, spill the beans. Right. Who cares? Nothing he can do or say is going to make either you or I say it's unbelievable. Or his Not supporters. No, no Trump supporter, if they release the P tape, no Trump supporter is going to abandon. They're going to be well, like, yeah, it's going to get to the. It, so he's got to find. He'll settle on a new core, and the there's a difference between the 35 percent of Republicans vote that he he had as in his command throughout his presidency, through which he raised a certain pace of money to fuel everything. And then 
that number didn't double, but it went to 47 percent. It went up 12 points because he got 47 percent of the vote. The, the question right now is, so how much did he move his core base? Was it 35 million to 40 million, which is huge? Was it 35 or is there Trump fatigue even in the true blue? And are we right back to where we have been for all this time generally, which is in the 32 to 34, 35 percent range? I suspect it's that. But okay. that's what it'll settle on. That number. You're uh, okay. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You, you're pretty good at this. Go you, ahead. You, wait, you, a minute. you have wait this. A minute. I, wait, let's make a toast. Let's make a toast because I need a swig of beer. Here's to your. Uh, what's your beer again? Holliner. Holliner. It's a it's a Munich beer. Weiss beer. And, and me, which, which means uh, white beer. It's like a wheat fat beer. tire. Yeah. And I, I've got to say, I'm I'm the first time I haven't drank Smittix in a while because the store I went to didn't have it. And this is why I love this beer. Fat tire is fabulous. It is. All right. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out why you're wrong and why listening back to this in the future is going to be so clear that I was right. What's gonna happen? Trump's gonna leave office. Never admits defeat. He will not be convicted of anything because Biden will. Maybe not pardon him, but let everyone know that if that he will pardon the past president because that's what Democrats do. Okay, for in me, the same, in the same way that in the same way that Obama said, "Let's put the past behind us" when it came to it's, Bush's. Yeah, this is remind remind me. Let me just before you go to the next thing. Yes, just stop right there. Let me tell you why that's not going to happen. Because Biden, unlike Trump, you become apparently inured from the pain of this. But Biden, unlike Trump is not going to intervene with what a Department of Justice official does with no. another elected official. And as a result of that, the question, the point of that Biden's going to intervene, okay. no, I don't well, buy it. Obama specifically... He could encourage it. Hold on. George W. Bush could have been tried for many things about lying to start a war and things like this, but Obama definitely told the entire federal government, let's let that be bygones. That's a federal government. Water under the bridge. You, you, are you telling me, including but not limited to the Department of Justice? That Do you think that's what Obama did? I don't know. With DOJ specifically in your list of communications? That... My, look, okay. Look. You have your theories. Let me get my, me get my theory out. out. Shut the fuck up. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be – hey, hey, I don't want to be aggressive about this. I don't think, I don't think Trump is going to pay with – he might pay some fines or something, but uh, pay with any jail. Imagination on, on. The, the Trump on the Trumpian future is a little startling to me. Hold There's on, let a me... couple things might have. I think maybe you've drank too much beer and it's numbed your senses. Okay, because it's it's a little it's a little less remarkable to think that Trump won't be won't go to prison and will therefore have to go to another country. It's... Hold on. Okay. Are you let me finish. Yes, we like to say on the news, well, he's going to go back well, to. What he to playing golf and tweeting, what he was doing before, and there are there will be news stories almost every day about what the former president is tweeting today, but no one will pay much attention aside from that, and he's going to live on a on a golf course for the rest of his days, and no any charges against him will be settled out of court somehow. And he will face no consequences. That's my prediction. So some of that I actually think I think you may be right about. But uh, I will tell you this, and to your earlier point, one thing that this golf and Twitter thing uh, completely seems 
to ignore, which is your earlier point, which makes the ignoring of it even more uh, obvious, is that he relishes the crowd. And there's no way that a life of tweeting and golfing is going to satisfy that narcissistic uh, desire. Therefore, you got to expand that a little bit. And he doesn't give a fuck whether or not these crowds are spreading the virus. He will do it. And so, therefore, he's golfing and he's tweeting, to be sure. He's also on an airplane, and wherever he goes on the airplane is where his rallies are. It takes, they land, they have a rally, they get in the plane, they go to the next place. He's been doing it. He's a master at that. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I do believe that won't be, it won't get the attention it does. This is what, this is what I heard from, from the pundit from uh, Louisiana, James Carville. From Carville, Louisiana, by the way, in Iberville Parish down there. He said, He's from the same you place know, as his- if you don't have power, nobody cares what you say. Yeah. And this supports your point. Yeah. Because you're saying is he's not going to be president anymore. There will be some following of it, but he's going to lose a whole lot of pizzazz. That's exactly what, what Carville says. And, and then I think the most recent example of that is the fact that in the, the newscast I've been watching, they're not, as I said earlier, they're not showing Trump. They're not cutting in for Trump. They're reporting that he talked and maybe a clip and, and, and maybe not. They're ignoring him already. Yeah, and, it's going to be uh, like how the how these big megachurch preachers have this huge audience yeah. and they their egos are super fluffed. But yeah. it's, it's, it's not no news. No one. They're carnival barkers. Carnival barkers. That's the title but, of this But episode. here's the thing, and, and I want to join this, which your insight here is tied to this fact again. So at the end of the day, what is his new core? Because that is what we're talking about. In, in, core in, supporters? In, yes. How big is his core? And I suspect that his core, which includes total belief, yes, our God, and I'm going to send you $25 every paycheck, okay, that that... 270 to 400 million a year business of generating that money, none of which is controlled by uh, election laws because he's not running for anything. He's just doing what he does. That's a billion dollars. It'll be Donald Trump will become the billionaire that he's always claimed to be. And and the real fearful question for my kids is: Is fucking Ivanka and Donald and Junior and Eric going to be a parent? Where they go is interesting. The fucking link of. Ivanka and Jared moving to Billionaire's Lane down in in Miami, down in Florida somewhere. And it says, while Ivanka mulls over her political future. Yes. And and she could then the Republican be a Don Jr. positioning himself in the National Republican Party. Okay? Where he could end up being the chair of the Republican National Party. That's funny. Soon. Soon. Yeah. Because he in fact needs a place to run from. It's just like his dad. It'll be interesting to see the explosion in the diaspora of the Trump White House and where they all end up. Yeah. And where there's a whole lot fewer of them are going to end up in prison. He apparently is 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 pardoning so many people. <laughs> Even people who don't want to be pardoned. I mean, we talked about yes, this last show, but it's pretty hilarious. I mean, it's almost like he's the buffoon in chief, you know. And we're all like, we're like, this is so much your last fiddle. And, and you're going to just be another fucking crackpot with a bunch of followers, albeit, that we don't actually have to pay attention to anymore. You're not the president. You're like a fucking old suit. You're like yesterday's fucking news. You're on the bottom of a fucking birdcage. And speaking of birdcages, how about we do a bit of a dialogue on this uh, second episode of Your Honor? I yes, that... I, just, I want to touch on a brief thing that you about what you just said. 
was was three part three things i heard three part yeah the number one you love lists you're good with lists i'm not making a list i want to say one thing that i i heard an interesting podcast talking about how the pardoning system has always worked and how it's always generally been a just a an honorable thing like created it was created for people that had already served their time and (laughs) as a check in the checks and balances between the branches of government that if the legislative branch and the judicial branch overstepped their bound, the executive could jump in and say, no, not that. But apparently, the so far, including all of Trump's pardoning of Michael Flynn and those people, in general, the pardon considered most controversial was that of Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon for anything he had ever done and anything that and it, would happen yes, in the future. Yes. He gave this yes. totally blanket pardon. Yeah, that, which is what Flynn got. That stopped so many lawsuits in their tracks. Like They were like, well— But not to the state level. Of course. Nixon wasn't being investigated for state-level crimes. That's the only difference. And I don't want to overplay the New York Southern District uh, District Attorney's office on this. The 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 whole movie. You remember the billions? It's all based on that office, or not? Yeah. And, and right. so we've got a lot of you and I've got a lot of images from all of that and sure. how all that works. But yeah. Okay. You Let's, know. Do you want to shift over to Your uh, Honor? Oh, that that's what you should be calling me this whole time. <laughs> I. It's funny you say that because every time when I want to say something, I have to stumble over the fact that I want to call you your honor, but I, I don't because it's a little embarrassing that I hold you in such eminence. Sometimes I think you're saying you want to, but that's so let's talk about this. All, so in, in, in two, two episodes ago, I think we excoriated uh, the other show, Nicole Kidman. The, the final episode of that for being all over the place and uh, and trouble and like narratively troublesome and undone undone it? yes that exactly we undid undone and <laughs> yeah uh, and we're looking forward to the your honor Brian yeah. Cranston of course a favorite of both of us yes he's a fantastic actor and also you are you the one that said that you've never seen Breaking Bad yes because yes. this is very the vibe of this show of I've done something and the authorities are going to find out unless I can clean up all of the possible evidence. Right. Which is exhilarating. And any anyone can imagine, at least I can, being in that situation where, oh no, I accidentally did a thing that is going to look really bad, even though I wasn't trying to kill this person. Here I am scrubbing blood off the floor. Uh, right. And right. that's sort of nerve-wracking feeling of... Uh-huh. Oh my God! They're gonna find out. I need to clean right. up all the evidence. Where was I? Right. Did I leave my shoe over there when I turned off the faucet? Did I yeah. was my hand yeah. dirty with blood yeah. at the time? Yeah. That sort of thinking. And, and to your point, the image that floods my my brain here is the look on his face in the bright light of the interior of his wife's car that his son had been driving, as he's wiping the blood off the seats and his utter terror at what was happening and what he had to do. And the lighting and the cinematography for that particular scene was almost enough to set you back on your heels. It was so strong. I like a lot of, of what they're, and I will not miss an episode yeah. because it is riveting. But I often wonder why these screenwriters put stuff in there that detracts from the acting because the story. they put a plot in, a plot twist in there that isn't really necessary for any increased drama. Right. What it does instead is it makes it incredible. And in the spoiler here, of course, the, the fact that he runs to the house, he sees it's a shotgun, he goes to court as a judge, and he says, you know what, you can't see around corners, and so she's innocent. Does that, 
boy who ends up being the gangster who steals the car that was so to bad. be her son from the same house why why couldn't you know why here's the answer because i thought about this it's because they wanted this courtroom scene where brian where the judge goes to the hearing of the kid who stole his car which i had to question would a well-known judge attend a hearing of his son's his wife's car that makes good sense but would that really would he do that if he was guilty of making it all happen? that was a little weird i could buy that but then yeah. you remember after the court scene the woman who he had exonerated runs to him in the hallway and implores them to help and says i know you're a good man i know you're a good man blah 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 and you go what it's your son and then they show <laughs> the rape so here's the thing in new orleans having to spend some time down there it would have been totally credible, and that scene would have been almost identically done if instead of it being the woman, it was her cousin who lived next door, or it was somebody else from the neighborhood who brought the sister with. And as they were walking out of the courtroom, the same woman had the same lines. But instead of being this direct, it's a little indirect. And, and so I just, it's like, why do you, you don't, why do you got to turn it into more of a fairy tale? There's something over there on wit. There, there's so many own goals here where you didn't have to didn't have to make it this this dumb like you could have had it be another person it could, or... it could yeah what was it what was the other scene i don't know if they're uh, thinking uh, that they're so, so they clever got... yeah they, you're right they're trying to be too clever they're too yeah. slick so here's a question for you there wasn't in my email of 13 questions this is one i didn't ask you this is what i didn't pose oh no a new question and maybe i just missed it I read tell it. me again why were they torturing coffee what 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 did they want to know from him that wasn't apparent since the cops arrested him, found the cell phone, where they torture him to say where he got the cell phone, meaning that he ran over the kid? Because if that's the case, he didn't admit it. What exactly happened there? Because they're gangsters. You recall? The answer. Huh? What? Because they're gangsters. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's quite a minute because they're gangsters. <laughs> that doesn't answer the question. And I'm talking about the Italians, not the... I, I I just these the it just seems to me that these things that stretch on credibility are so obvious to anybody who would see an early version of this that I wonder like who are you showing this stuff to who doesn't recognize that that just that's like stretching it why do that yeah you got every, you don't need that to make anything work it just is a negative if I can understand that and you agree you're right there with me I'm with you bro I'm with you model we model together. And it reminds me of the scene in Pleasantville when they're in the bowling alley and J.T. Walsh is saying, here's the question, gentlemen. Are we going to do this apart or are we going to do this together? And in order to make his point about how bad things have gotten, he calls up Arthur. I think it's Arthur. And Arthur comes forward and J.T. Walsh in this very touching performance puts his hand on, I think his name is Arthur's shoulder and says, it's okay, Arthur. I know that this is really hard. And Arthur, to my delight, takes off his jacket and shows that his wife has made an iron mark on his shirt. Yes. And it makes J.T. Walsh's uh, caring demeanor. And he was showing true leadership qualities. And he got all the men to, to be startled into saying, together. And then they, they go over to William H. Macy. They go over to, to Dad's character. And he, he he's shown cheering together. And that's the end of the scene. I love it. I love it. When Macy's color came to his face, I cry. I cry. 
Nice. He's crying. He makes me cry. It's a remarkable moment in cinematography. Yes. You agree? <clears throat> I, I remember that that moment in that film. That was one of the, one of the highlights, yes. After doing some research, it seems that our ire is directed at Peter Mopat, an English playwright and screenwriter who wrote episode one and two of, of Your Honor. Your Honor. Yes. I bet you, this is my prediction, is that episode three is going to totally restore my faith and they'll get back on track again, having thus established the main ingredients. So here's a question. Why the, the other episode, he only wrote the first, first two. The, the rest are written by other people. We only see two. Yeah, but I can tell you that the others are written by other people. As I suspected. Three through six. And so, so which one? Gets, episodes three through six are each written by different people. Each of them? Yes. So Alice the starter gets David two. Matthews. The guy up Jones. first does two. Uh, in this scenario, I think he also might have bankrolled some of it. And these are different screenwriters or different directors? Or both? Who's doing oh, the screen? The, this is written by the teleplay by Peter. Okay. That's what. Your Honor is an American limited series starring Brian Cranston, adapted from the Israeli TV series, Kvoto. Yeah. You didn't know that? I did not. Yes, and actually, there's an analysis of the difference between the two uh, you've that I just saw. I didn't, I yes. didn't read it. I had a busy week. So I'm, I'm glad to see it. There's some answered questions that are plot twists and whatnot. The, the placement of the signed autographed baseball and how that plays into it and yeah, whether or not that was an error. The, on the one hand, a remarkably smart writing acting scene was when they pulled out of the, the the reclamation shop at the sheriff's office that they ran over the hump and a piece of the motorcycle fell out. Yes. I thought that was remarkably good writing. And I, I wonder if the same is true with the baseball. I'm hoping that the baseball isn't some cheeky thing. We'll like, throw away. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, something that was like, so you, now you're doing it again. Now you're doing this little plot twist that you don't need. Will, will this pay off or not? They don't need to be that busy. There's some so, central themes. I mean, before I watched episode two, before it was available, I went and rewatched the first half of the first one, uh -huh. where it's to totally intense detail. to see every detail, because I knew when I was watching the first time that every detail was going right. to be referenced. Uh, so the inhaler, of course, is the, the one of the biggest takeaways. The tape and the tape, the inhaler itself, waiting for the DNA on the inhaler, right. different kinds of blood on the inhaler, we're waiting for that, and then the gangster, I can't, I, sorry about the name, he is listening again and again to the tape of the 911 call, where what he hears in the, in the tape is. <laughs> yes. And he's understanding a glimpse, maybe, but not quite yet, what this means. <laughs> Let's just do the next 20 minutes like this. Keep going. Okay, wait. I'm going to give my rendition of it, and you give yours. <laughs> What's yours? Go ahead. Yeah, I don't, okay, I can't do it. Let's do it together. You sound you sound more like a you sound more like a, a zombie or, or somebody whose throat is falling apart. That's good though. Let's not hey do man, anymore. let's rewrite the episode. Let's rewrite it so it's that the kid, because he's got the blood of the dead kid, he does in fact turn into a zombie. And as he is calling on the cell phone, that's what we hear is him turning into a zombie. That's how you sound it. See, that would sell so that's much better remarkable. in the red states. Like this is, a, this is a this is a blue state movie. Political overtones. But that's that would, great. Like that a would fine so wine. Much, so much better. Maynard G. Krebs, you're amazing. The thinker. I think I was gonna say. I forgot. Hey, so have I talked to you since uh, I ended up in my uh, daughter's partner's recording studio? No. 
hey man, tell me about over you. there. Hey man, I want you to hear a song. I thought we we're gonna go upstairs and he was gonna play his six string or his twelve string for me. He's uh-huh. an accomplished guitarist, and he's got a few CDs. One of them that I've listened to beginning to end was uh, some hard rock and stuff, and not leaning toward metal in a way that I really appreciated. When we went upstairs, and instead of playing music, he turned on his computer, and he said, I want you to listen to these six tracks that we just laid down, and a song he wrote, a song he sings, a song that he's playing guitar for, his drummers recorded in his virtual studio. And he said, so here's where I want your harmonica. You're going to hear me play the right key, but poorly. And so I'll add that, but then I'm going to take it away because I don't want you to hear that. This is where I want you to come in. Now, I had a, a sore on my lip, so I couldn't bring my harps with me, even though I thought we might play a little bit. I didn't expect to go into a studio and listen to recorded music. Cool. So we're, we're drinking whiskey, and, we're, and he's listening, and he was funny because he says he's the writer, right? It's his song. He wrote the words, he's writing the tune, he's playing the guitar, and he says, this is what I want the harmonica to sound like. And so he put his hand up to his mouth, and where he wanted the harmonica, he went, of course, <laughs> like Alan used to do. Right. And because we were getting a little bit loaded, he did it like the whole song. <laughs> so that as I'm sitting there listening, without a harmonica, wishing, damn, I wish I brought it. <laughs> right? right? But I love the idea that he's so clear about what he wants, and we're in agreement as to where the stuff fills in. But it was a remarkable experience. So I'm going over there, and we're going to lay down some tracks, man. Yeah, but bro. he's a songwriter, and he's prolific. And so we're listening, we're listening, we're listening, they're drinking, they're listening, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I want you to, here's one, here's one. And he starts with this guitar riff that is like really difficult riff. And on a bluesy kind of moving kind of a jingo jango that's going on. And it's just him and the guitar. And he's setting up in the first several bars for the whole band to come in and just jam out nice. with this song about jobs all suck. And the words Amen. are distinct, and he's jamming out. And and I said, whoa, I see horn. Who's on the horn? He said, me. I said, so is this your drummer? He said, no, I'm doing the drums. I said, where are the drums? He said, they're in the basement. I said, oh. And I said, whoa, is that you singing three-time harmony? He said, yeah, that's me. I said, so is this all you? He said, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Re, you know, track after track. And he said, this is where I want you to come in. And I'm like, oh, I hear that. I said, but I Why said, would you want to collaborate it. with anyone at this point? Yeah, actually, on that point, I said him with the song that had this lead in of this great acoustic guitar and just his marvelous fucking voice, which is so different. His singing voice is so different from his speaking voice. And I love it. And he reminds me of someone I can't quite put my hand in, but it's extraordinarily clear and professional. Nice. And and I said to him, I, he says, and I want some, you know, a harp in here, you know. And I said, I said, listen, let me tell you something. Some songs just don't need a harp. Oh some people would say... One harp is too much, let alone two. And he looked at me and he said, this is my song. I know what I want it to sound like. And you need to figure that out with me. And so we went through the song, like the opening, three times. And I finally said, okay, I got it. I'm going to give you a deep, sultry one note throughout that. like a Almost like a violin string, right? right? Just a little bit in the background so that you barely even notice it. And he said, that's it. Nice. And I thought, this is going to be fun. Cool. This is going to be fun. And he said, said, tell everybody you play with that your son-in-law is an engineer. Nice. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'll be there 
every weekend or whatever is said. He said that he's up there 10, 12 hours a week. Sure. And he's laying down the shit. And he and I said, I've got a couple of tunes. And these are, in fact, tunes that I've dibble-dabbled in on, on some of our podcasts. Right. The, the tune about a guy who, who had uh, breathing difficulties and couldn't go to the march, and he was breathing for George Floyd. There's a, there's a ballad in there. And I talked to him about, I said, so what do you think about ballads in general? He said, I like ballads. And he played one, and it was all jazzed up. And I said, I'm thinking about simple cowboy ballads. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, that's cool. And here's the thing about some of this stuff that is going to be an interesting uh, juxtaposition in his studio to his amazing lyrics. And because of his beats and his exuberance of these tunes, he's saying a lot of stuff. Compare that to a ballad, which has one main theme that may be repeated again and again. It may be a secondary theme, but that's it. And, And I just listened to a ballad the other day by Louisiana blues singer. I'm blanking on the name. Too many Bruce's. So, I, don't, I don't know that I don't know that Kenny you, can, I don't Kenny know you can publish those ballads that you've shared on the program already. I think those are owned by Happy Hour Industries. We can't <laughs> actually it's a money making scheme. Okay, we can sell it's a money making scheme. Yes, okay. yes. We'll uh in fact I'm glad you said it because my lawyer will be calling your lawyer. <laughs> I'm like Bob Dylan in the fucking band. I'm going to end up owning the fucking songs you write. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you. Yeah, well, you didn't read it. You should have read it, man. Come on, let's jam. <laughs> but it's a tribute to Dylan's manager more than Dylan. I learned recently that Lenny Kravitz performed all the parts on his albums. Yes, yes. Uh, and I had, I, had, I had known that. I'm, I'm not surprised to hear. And also that... That he grew up with, like celebrity parents hanging out with yes. uh, Miles Davis, and you know these people just yeah. uh, in his childhood uh, hanging out with uh, you know Frank Sinatra and, and those folks, as if it was so just... shit to Pepsi. Not only his song, but his image. And in the Pepsi commercial, he's being uh, passed through the crowd on his back. Who is? I believe I've got the right commercial. Lenny Kravitz. The, the amount of money that these guys make from doing that. I thought, I could, maybe I mentioned this last episode if I did stop me, but the reaction from from the writer from the band, um, who, <laughs> what's his name? Shit. Who, when he heard that Bob Dylan sold yeah. his music to Pepsi, he was like, look, he's not happy about it, but he's taking the money because he did get 50% on that or some some uh, some figure, but not in his not on his control. And that was uh, funny. I, and pain, painful, I'm sure. Um, but this is going to be fun to be able to get back to that. I missed that in COVID, not be able uh, to perform. And when these pickup bands that I would go to, you're going to be sharing a microphone. They're not going to call you up. Can't do that. To, to go, hey, man, use my mic. They, it's impossible. No. Nope. It's impossible. And you're not going to bring all your shit with you and set it up for two tunes or whatever you get to eke out a, a busy song fest. You're lucky to get up there because these guys know what they're doing. I love to be able to do it this this uh my son-in-law is the real deal man. it's and my son is a guitar player and i have the idea and he won't listen to this so i haven't said this to him yet actually i think i have i want him to pick up a bass because that's what we need we got a 16 12 string classically trained aficionado pick up a bass, we can throw a rhythm guitar in there. we really don't need it this guy this kid can play both the lead guitar and rhythm guitar, and just do two tracks. <laughs> but to be able to pull my son into it, and my daughter went back to uh, playing the violin, which we had supported and, and financed over her years as a teenager, and I said to her, from henceforth, she was in the studio with us, I said, from henceforth, that is actually a fiddle. 
you know, and she's on a little track that I heard, and I, I heard it, and I said, I hear a string in there, is that you? And she said, yeah, it's not much, and he said, let me isolate it. Here's me on the guitar, just a, and here's here's that, and there's her with a bow being drawn one way, perfectly done, nice. and I said, and then he said, here's the track without me, and then it was just her playing the violin, and it was so smooth and i looked at my daughter i said oh my god so imagine the four of us so this is what i'm going to propose to him oh, man and you'll love this idea i'm going to say to him and i don't know how he like this because he's doing all original stuff i'm going to say i want to do a cover of a bb king christmas blues song of your choosing and i, I want to do a cover because i want the four of us to be able to do a christmas song on christmas and this isn't that hard not when you've got a talent like a guitarist, right. a harmonica player that's played it a million times. And we just uh, do a Kelsey drum beat to add to the track to just pull it off the net. And, and, then, and then my son playing bass and then the fiddle coming in. I just can't wait. That I just work. can't wait. That could work. So this is Christmas and almost New Year. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, so this is Christmas. Oh, this is Christmas. Oh, I love the lights all are shining. Oh, this is Christmas with you. And what's so exciting about this thing that's going to happen is by playing as we've played with Phil over the years, when you've got a talent that can just fucking go crazy on that guitar. You don't have to worry about anything else. Right. In terms of what is, what, how is this going to, we're going to, oh my God, let's go. Skip, skip, skip the rhythm. Of, yes, yes. And yes. some chord changes. And then, and who was awesome. our piano player down in back in the day? Rob? Don. Don, Don. Yeah, my father's name, go figure. And he had a catalog of what? 400 songs? Yeah, those oh, yeah, were just the ones on paper. The oh, ones yeah, in his mind or more, yeah. And then, and then when he would say, I don't know, sing it. And then right. I'd sing a few, and he'd say, oh, yeah, now I know it. And right. bam, yeah. just that. Yeah, the, the musicians that, that can do that and anticipate the next chord change without... And so there's a trombone leaning against the wall in my son-in-law's uh, recording room, which I didn't notice. And I thought, oh, my God. I, I used to play the trumpet, and I've been thinking about doing it again. And how simple it would be, with a trumpet in hand, to do what he's doing on the trombone. And he said, I don't have to know much to be able to play what I want to play. Because what's the trombone doing? Or It's just, you don't need to know much. It's not that complicated. Well, I'm just excited. Am I going to pick up the horn again? I'm looking you forward know? to this. And he can fucking play the banjo. What an I said, you play the banjo? We said, oh, yeah. And I'm listening to this tune, and I said, is that you on the mandolin? And he says, oh, yeah. I said, oh, wow. Well, like I'm that. looking up on the screen. There's 10 tracks. He's got three-part harmony that he's recording over this remarkable voice that he has. What a jerk. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun, fun, fun. That's, um, well, here's the Here's to the holidays, man. I got to tell you how much I look forward to this. This is just an hour for me to be. Well, I, you probably can guess what I'm going to say. It uh, makes me feel well, well, kind of. Well, yeah. Now not that you sad. Say it. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I'm sad. Sometimes I'm sad that you're not smarter, but I hope 
I don't let it bother me. You and me both. No, not really. I work through it. Yeah. I work through it. Sometimes you know, I get sad that I'm not smarter, but then I forget. <laughs> you know. Well, we come into it as we leave, relishing in our, our kinship and our good humor. Yes. Cheers, my friends. Next week. See you next week. Peace. Okay, that's it for episode number 89. You can find the show notes at happyhour.fm slash 089. If you'd like to help us make this show or just give us a Christmas present or something, you can go to patreon.com slash happyhour and buy us around. We would love that. We will probably mention you on the show if you were so kind to do so. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.